0: All right, having said that, let's go into uh, what I've been trying to put together in my mind's eye tonight, and you're the perfect guy to help me out with this. With this whole uh, last dance fever that everyone has with the Chicago Bulls, I thought to myself, if there was a team and an era that would deserve another production of quote-unquote like the last dance, it would be the 2011 Philadelphia Phillies. The team that was probably, Tim, and I, I, I want your take on this, I think that was the best team that Charlie Manuel had. Okay, And Ruben Amaro Jr. put together a, an incredible roster of pitching, bench, offense, defense, you name it. That team had everything. That was a much more talented team than the 2008 World Series champs. Okay, on paper, uh, you know, just purely talented. That roster, you know, was better than the 2017 uh, seven team and the 2008 team. Let's start with that first of all. If you agree or disagree with me on it, and why it it, it just didn't kick into high gear in that series against the Cardinals.
1: Not only do I agree with you with that, but the Phillies just celebrated, I think it was their 137th birthday yesterday. I think that is the best team, regular season-wise, that has ever existed in the Philadelphia Phillies organization. They they were that good, had that much talent, and there was something about that season where... Citizens Bank Park became the place to be. People that didn't like baseball wanted to be there, and it was not that way in 2007 and 2008. Now, winning a World Series going back in 2009, that contributed to it, but having Roy Halladay here, having Cole Hamels here, having Roy Oswald, even though he didn't have a great season, what really put the icing on the cake was Cliff Lee coming back And I mean, I I don't know how historically accurate it is that he spurned the Yankees, but that was kind of the narrative at the time that Cliff Lee spurned the Yankees, took less money in years and came back to Philadelphia. And it it created one of the most magical seasons in the history of Philadelphia sports. And I I was doing a show recently where I talked about what the most disappointing Philly season is in the last, I, I think I said 20 or 25 years. And I couldn't put that as that because I look at seasons like last year that were just brutal to get through after you came in with such high expectations. And then I go back to 2011, and I look at that, and I think of that regular season as the most enjoyable Phillies regular season ever. People outside of Philadelphia watch Phillies games. Teams were jealous of the Phillies. Opposing fans were jealous of the Phillies. That has never happened in my life in any other season, and I don't know if it ever will happen again. So
0: when I look back to 2011, that's what really sticks with me initially. It was the hottest ticket in town. the uh, The sellout uh, streak was incredible. You're absolutely right. The Phillies were the darlings of the national media, the national television. The, you know, they were on the uh, they basically on the game of the week just about every week. It, they were the glamour team of Major League Baseball. And, you know, as as harshly as Ruben Amaro was treated on his way out the door, you know, people forget that, you know, he's the guy that put that roster together, Tim. Yeah, I mean, if
1: you remember, and this was in the, the very early stages of memes, but there was a big meme that went around after Cliff Lee came back. And instead of the wise men and Jesus, you had Ruben Amaro sitting there with Roy Halladay, Cole Hamels, and then Baby Jesus was <laughs> Cliff Lee coming back. So uh, Ruben Amaro uh, was the to- the toast of the town and uh, viewed as one of the better executives in baseball at that time. Obviously, he inherited that team, but he also helped build
0: that team. So, yeah, he has a complicated legacy where there needs to be nuance, certainly. So it's a dominant team coming off, obviously, the loss to the giants in 2010 it's a dominant group of players they break the the you know single season win record and it's interesting though tim and i discussed this earlier tonight with scott lauber uh it's part of his new book about the the 50 greatest moments of uh, of the franchise's history but the the night that the phillies eliminated atlanta The Braves just needed to win one of the three games at Turner Field, that final series of the regular season. The Phillies had already clinched. I mean, they had the the division and best record. The whole thing was in in their hip pocket. It was in the bag. And Atlanta just needed that one more win to get into the playoffs, which would have changed the course of history because the Phillies then would have faced the Arizona Diamondbacks in that first round of the playoffs and the Atlanta Braves I'm trying to remember Tim and maybe you remember who the other team was the Phillies represented cuz only one wild card back then so the Phillies were the eastern winners the I'm trying to remember who were the central winners cuz the Cardinals came in as the wild card because the Phillies eliminated the Braves but the central winner was I think it was the Brewers, but I might be wrong on that. Two thousand. Let's look up uh, as we discuss this. The two thousand and eleven final standings here. Uh, But needless to say, it was Milwaukee Caesar. Okay, so the Milwaukee Brewers would have played. uh, Could they have played the Cardinals? Because remember, they they tried to avoid having the uh, the division the you know if 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 the wild card came out of the same division it would have the wild card team would have played uh would have played the team with the best record but either way it would have either been st louis milwaukee or atlanta philadelphia so so you know that would have been out the the phillies would have played the arizona diamondbacks and i think history would have shown that would maybe it would have been a very different situation if the phillies would have gotten by the diamondbacks which you know uh, all for all intent and purposes they, they should have and would have, uh, then maybe 2011 would have been the second World Series championship in a matter of four years.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's crazy to look back on. The one thing I would say, though, is the Phillies have locked everything up in that final series except clinching sole possession of the greatest single season in Phillies' regular season history because the right. previous record had been 101 wins. They entered that series with 99, so they needed to sweep the Braves. They did that. They got to 102, which is the franchise record and probably will be for a very long time. But it ultimately came at the cost of you knock the Braves out and you let the Cardinals, who would eventually win the World Series. It was Albert Pujols' final season there. Uh, Chris Carpenter was kind of like his final go-round. So you let the team in that ended up knocking you out and winning the World Series.
0: Did Tony La Russa outmanage Charlie Manuel in that series? I, w-
1: I don't even know that it's fair to say that because you had Cliff Lee in game two had a 5 nothing 4 nothing lead, one of those two. The mm-hmm. Phillies won game one and they won game three. Cliff Lee is one of the best pitchers that's ever pitched for the Phillies. He's one of the most successful postseason pitchers of the last 25 years. And he laid an egg that night, and ultimately it kept the door open. The Cardinals won game four, and they won game five. What really hurt the Phillies that series was not their pitching beyond game two. It was the fact that they didn't hit enough. Hunter Pence, who was the big uh, trade deadline pickup in 2011, did not hit in that series. Ryan Howard didn't have a great series. So you just had a series where game five of the series, Roy Halladay and kind of like his final amazing Roy Halladay-type start laid his heart out there for you, and you couldn't even get him one run. So I I find that difficult to blame on Charlie Manuel, and more to blame on a a lineup loaded with MVPs and all-stars that just
0: simply didn't perform when they needed to in that series. I I do remember clearly that uh, La Russa was working the umpires, was bench-jockeying the umpires big time, throughout that entire series, and La Russa was a master, an absolute master of getting the umpire to get the, the strike zone for his pitcher. Uh, La Russa was, you know, a, a, a tremendous bench jockey, uh, but was a guy that would drive umpires, you know, to the point of, of, of no return where you would see the difference even within a game. Where the strike zone would change after La Russa just constantly bannering with the uh, with the umpiring crew, especially at home plate.
1: Yeah, Tony La Russa had no problem making people mad, whether it was umpires. And, you know, obviously we saw the last two years people did not respond kindly in Philadelphia to a ton of pitching changes. But long before we called the analytics, Tony La Russa was switching relief pitchers and dragging games out for three, four, five hours before it was cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Tony La Russa did not care about making anyone mad, making any enemies, and it ultimately ended with him winning multiple World Series championships and having a plaque in Cooperstown. So I'd say it worked out pretty well for him.
0: Some of the interesting personalities on that 2011 team, you mentioned Hunter Pence, who, you know, came midseason, let's go eat. When he discovered that there was great food in Philadelphia, you know, that was his way of, of uh, getting embraced uh, by the fan base. Uh, you know, you, you had the, I remember the, the Sports Illustrated cover of the pitchers, and they demanded, remember, I think it was Roy Halliday. Was it Halliday that said, I'm not doing the cover unless Joe Blanton? Was it Blanton? That was, that was also uh, included in the photograph for the cover of the magazine. So you had a a collection of of really, you know, really uh, distinct personalities on that team. You had guys coming off the bench like Ben Francisco, of all people, who, if I'm not mistaken, hit a big home run in that series. You had a lot of different kind of guys that all blended pretty well together.
1: Yeah, Ben Francisco, game three, he won the game with, uh, I mean, they essentially stole that game at Bush Stadium because he came off the bench and hit a pinch hit go-ahead home run that won the game. I mean, off the bench, I think we hear a lot of these names now and remember when they eventually got expanded roles and didn't do it as well, but John Mayberry, Wilson Valdez, guys that were really solid contributors off the bench, you had that, and then you had a lineup. I mean, go down this list, Hunter Pence might have been the only one on that team that hadn't played in a World Series yet. You had Polanco, who hadn't played in one with the Phillies, but had in Detroit. Raul Abanez had in 2009 and the rest of the team was on the team in 2008 so this was a deep team deep in playoff experience and a lot of these guys Ryan Howard was not his peak in 2011 Jimmy Rollins was coming down Chase Eldley had been injured but these were still guys at the back half of what should have been their athletic primes and I mean Shane Victorino that was probably his best season that year so You had just a ridiculously good lineup on paper as well, and that's what I think makes it so disappointing that when you needed them to be great in Game 5, you got a great performance out of Roy Holiday, you got nothing out of the lineup.
0: How does a team that won 102 games go the very next season to being a 581-81 and team?
1: Because Chase Utley missed the majority of the season – Ryan Howard, who tore his Achilles in the final game of that uh, 2011 NLDS, I don't think he came back until August, and he really wasn't in great shape when he came back because uh, when you're a bigger guy and you don't play sports for a ton of time because you have your Achilles torn, it's hard to get immediately back into professional athlete-type shape. Uh, you had Roy Halliday fall off uh, after that because his uh, he just essentially had a 12-year stretch of throwing a ton of innings and being great, and uh, he just kind of hit a wall after that season. You didn't have a great bullpen, although you did bring Jonathan Papelbon in that year. But uh, you had a lineup that essentially all got old at once, and that was the issue. It was the same thing that made them all great at once, kind of ended up being the Phillies' downfall in 2012, and then you got into a, a stretch of years that were just kind of ugly because everyone knew the Phillies needed to rebuild, and they didn't for quite some time.
0: We're talking to uh, Tim Kelly, who knows a lot about uh, Philly's history, uh, writes about the Phil's, uh, does podcastradio.com, part of our uh, intercom family. Uh, in the last couple minutes we have with you, Tim, uh, assuming we do play a, a some sort of season this year, uh, what's your expectation? if If it's a Grapefruit League type of situation where it's, the Yankees, it's the Red Sox, it's the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, it's, it's the Mets, it's the Washington Nationals. You know, if if, if, if it's that kind of situation where it's either the 10-team, 10 10-team, 10 10-team 10 set up, or if it's strictly Grapefruit League, Cactus League, it's going to be probably, you know, some hybrid form of something like that at least in the beginning and maybe – Uh, maybe with the expectation of of moving north into the home cities uh, at some point during uh, this particular season. Let's assume they start uh, in late June. Can the Phils compete with those top five teams, the ones that I named right off the bat? Yankees, Rays, Red Sox, uh, Mets, Nationals. Probably not
1: the Yankees and the Rays. I mean, take your pick of which one of those two you think is the best team in the American League. It probably depends, like you know, if Aaron Judge is healthy and the whole host of things. I think the Rays might be the best team in all of baseball, so probably not those two. Uh, I don't think they're as good as the Braves. I think the Braves are still a step above. But then you get into this kind of gray area. The Red Sox, I think the Phillies are a better team after the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts. The Mets, I don't think they're a better team then, but something always seems to go wrong with the Mets. They already had Noah Syndergaard's going to miss the entire season after having Tommy John surgery. So you kind of have that in the back of your head that even when things seem like they should go perfectly for the Mets, they don't. The problem you run into with teams like the Nationals, I really thought the Nationals were going to regress big time this year. You had Steven Strasburg throw almost 100 more innings than he did the previous year. Max Scherzer seemed like he was kind of starting to hit a wall physically, not that differently from where Roy Halladay was. So over the course of an 162-game season, I really thought they were going to regress. But now if you're playing 81, 100, 120, whatever the case is, I think that's a giant advantage to teams like that that have been able to give, that made deep playoff runs last year and have been able to give those guys an extended period of rest, and that's not great for the Phillies, depending on how short the season is it, it, it could be a situation where you could win the division if you have three great weeks. The flip side of that though is if you have two or three really bad weeks, and the Phillies have had both of those type of streaks over the past two seasons uh, that could sink you and you could get yourself in too big of a hole to climb out of so. It's going to be like nothing we've ever seen if there's a season this year, and uh, I'm excited to see that. It's going to be a cool experiment. It's going to be something people write books about and talk about in 20 or 30 years. Uh, I don't know if it's going to feel like what we're all used to, but it's going to feel better than uh, the alternative, which is nothing.
0: You're absolutely right about that. One more time, tell everybody where they can read and listen to you, Timmy
1: philliesnation.com, radio.com, and the Locked On Phillies podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can get that.
0: All right. He, he is not the stepchild, but he is redheaded, okay? That's our, <laughs> buddy. That's our buddy, Tim Kelly. Thank you for a couple minutes, my friend, and we'll talk soon. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Ricky.